You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. We have two scripture readings this morning. We'll read Genesis 1 and then we will also turn to Hebrews chapter 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and He separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness He called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the expanse and separated the water under the expanse from the water above it, and it was so. God called the expanse sky, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear, and it was so. God called the dry ground land, and the gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night. And let them serve as signs to mark seasons and days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, Let the water teem with living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea, and every living and moving thing with which the water teems, according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number, and fill the water in the seas, and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, creatures that move along the ground, and wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. 
God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Now we go to the New Testament where we'll read Hebrews chapter 2. We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For if the message spoken by angels was binding and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard Him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. It is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come, about which we are speaking. But there is a place where someone has testified, What is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor and put everything under his feet. In putting everything under him, God left nothing that is not subject to him. Yet at present we do not see everything subject to Him. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor because He suffered death, so that by the grace of God He might taste death for everyone. In bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers. In the presence of the congregation, I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here am I and the children God has given me. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he had to be made like his brothers in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people." Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. This morning we continue with our series of sermons on the Psalms. This morning our text is Psalm 8. For the director of music, according to Gerit, a psalm of David, O Lord, our Lord, How majestic is your name in all the earth! 
You have set your glory above the heavens. From the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all flocks and herds and the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Beloved congregation, Jesus Christ, it's very easy to become desensitized to the presence of greatness and majesty. For instance, if you were to spend a good part of your life in Alberta, Manitoba, or Ontario, and then come to British Columbia and then start living in a beautiful place, say like Smithers, I guarantee that initially you would be very, very impressed. Hudson Bay Mountain looms over the town. Looks close enough that you can touch it. The snowy peaks of the Talqua Range are to the south, just to the south. To the north are the Skeena Mountains. And to the east are the Babines. The sublime beauty all around makes your jaw drop. And it does for some time. However, if you were to continue living there for some years, eventually you might be in danger of taking it for granted. You may have to work at it. You may have to constantly remind yourself that this is truly a special place. Now, if this is true of what we can see with our eyes, how much more true isn't it of God who is invisible? At certain times in our lives, we're very impressed with God and His majesty. But as time goes on, a certain dullness may set in. We may become desensitized to the presence of His greatness and and might. And that can have various causes, one of which is the fact that God is invisible. And we do find it difficult to be impressed with someone we can't see. And this is a problem. Because if we're not all that impressed with God, the Holy One, why should we be disgusted with sin? Why should we hate it? Why should we flee from it? Why should we love a God who doesn't impress us? And if His glory doesn't grip us, how are we to be instruments for His glory? How are we to convince others to be impressed with God? Why should others become Christians and and serve the living and true God when those who are already Christians just don't think that He's all that great? We need to be constantly reminded that our God is great and majestic. 
We need to constantly remind ourselves that even though we cannot see Him, we have His Word which reveals His greatness to us and His glorious grace in Jesus Christ. And His Word also directs our eyes to the world around us for even more evidence of His majestic splendor. His Word is the the lens through which we look at this world and we see it for what it is. And Psalm 8 does all those things for us this morning. And so I preach to you God's Word with this theme, God's majestic splendor is revealed in all creation. And we'll see that in this psalm, David first of all praises God's glory in creation. Second, he recognizes human frailty. And then finally, he accepts God's dominion mandate. You may have noticed that the psalm begins and ends in exactly the same worshipful way. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And just as a side note, you'll, you'll notice that it's Lord, the first Lord is with all capital letters. That means it's Yahweh. So really, O Yahweh, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And this puts those who sing this song in the right posture right away. Prostrate, flat, before the mighty God. David exclaims that God's name is majestic in all the earth. God is known for being magnificent and powerful. And as we conscientiously look around us on the earth, we see evidence of His mighty majesty. The earth is His handiwork and it reflects His wisdom, His creativity and His power. From the soaring mountain peaks to azure blue lakes, we see the majesty of our God. From the pancake flat prairies to the badland hoodoos, we see the splendor of Yahweh. From glaciers that go on for kilometers to spectacular green coastal fjords, there too we see God's greatness. The Creator is responsible for it all. And here already, we not only see God the Father, our Creator, but we also have a testimony to Jesus Christ. Because John 1 verse 3 tells us, through Him, that's the word, Christ, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. All the beautiful things we see around us on this earth, they are also reflecting the glory of Christ, reminding us of what a great Savior we have. And that's not only true on the the horizontal level. We can look up into the night sky. And there too we can see the, the glory of God being revealed in a powerful way. David develops this a bit more in verse 3. But in verse 2, he switches over to something on a totally different level. From the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise. Gone from up there to down here. And here David's speaking about toddlers and and newborn babies, those who can't take care of themselves. And we have one such example here this morning with Kendra, the youngest member of our congregation. She can't feed herself. 
Her mom and her dad have to take care of her. God says that He has ordained praise from the mouth of those like Kendra. Then you say, how can that be? Kendra can't speak. She won't be able to for quite a few months. But yet God says that praise is coming from her lips. From the mighty heights of the mountains and stars, David has come down to these little children who are entirely dependent on God. And it is in their dependence on God and His provision for them through their parents and others that God has ordained praise for Himself. It's not that they they praise Him with words, but with their actions. When they use their mouths to feed, they speak volumes about who is their God and who is their provider. God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the wise and powerful. God has His enemies and they belittle His ability to provide and do good for those under His rule. And they not only belittle it, they mock it or they deny it, but the speechless mouths of babies and toddlers is more than enough to celebrate the praise of God and to silence God's naysayers. These little ones are also God's creation and they also reveal His majestic splendor and His providential care for them and for all of us. In Matthew 21, the Lord Jesus was at the temple. He drove out the merchants and money changers. Then you may remember He began healing the, the lame and the blind. And as He was doing this, There were children, throngs of children in the temple. And they were shouting in the temple precincts, Hosanna to the Son of David! The Jewish leaders were there too, and they became very, very angry at this. And in His reply to them, the Lord Jesus quoted these words from Psalm 8. And so if God can ordain praise from the little ones who can't yet speak... He can certainly also ordain and appoint praise from the ones who can speak. And He does do that. One of the blessings that we have as a church is that we have a whole army of young children. From newborns to toddlers to to preteens, we have a choir of young voices who sing praises to God and to His Son, Jesus Christ. We too, we can praise God with them and we can praise God for them. Isn't it beautiful when these children sing with gusto? We should encourage them and we should praise God for them because God uses them to silence His enemies. For example, the devil, he hates it. He absolutely hates it when we sing with our children in church and in our homes. Ah, Satan, he cringes 
When our, when our, when the little ones have, the little ones who can read have their books of praises open in the church service and when they're eagerly singing along. All the forces of evil shudder when we teach our children their memory work from school and when we, we sing it together with them in our homes. Oh, the devil, he hates that. Loved ones, carry on. Sing away. Let the praise of the little ones continue to be God's strong arm against the devil and his forces, against the world, and yes, even against our own flesh. Let the little children sing. Let them reveal God's majestic splendor. And so silence his enemies. With verse 3, David again lifts his eyes upward. He's considering the heavens which God made, the moon and the stars which He put in place. There aren't too many clear nights around here, unfortunately. At least not lately. And even when the nights are clear, we have a lot of background light that drowns out the night sky. Perhaps this summer you'll go camping to a a remote place and hopefully you'll have a few clear nights. Wander away from the campfire. Look up. And as you do so, you should be able to see approximately 4,000 stars with your naked eye, along with several planets. If you use binoculars or use a telescope, you'll be able to see several thousand more. On a good night, you can actually see the structure of our own galaxy. You can see the Milky Way, as well as nebulae and, and other galaxies. And of course, if you're further north, you may even be treated to the northern lights. All these things are God's handiwork. And they should impress us with the greatness of our God. The universe is so huge and so beautiful. How much more majestic isn't our God? With all that in mind, David comes to the question of verse 4. What is man that you're mindful of him? The Son of Man that you care for Him. It's important to recognize that the first use of the the word man here in this verse, verse 4, is a special Hebrew word that's often used to speak of man in his frailty and weakness. In other words, what is this weak and frail being that this great and majestic God who created all these wonderful, incredible things. You should care for Him. The universe is so enormous and so beautiful, but man is so puny and so weak. It seems like the universe endures forever. But man is here and gone, just like that. The universe, the stars and the moon, they never change. At least seldom in a way that's visible to the naked eye. But man is fickle and he blows with the wind. What is man that God should be mindful of him? What is man that God should care for him? Really, what what David is saying here is, what is man that God should relate to him at all in a friendly way on any meaningful level? Surely God has more important things to do in the universe than, 
take care of mankind. But the question is asked in such a way that it's clear that God does in fact relate to man in a friendly way. God does remember us. God does care for us. And verse 5 tells us why that is. Even though man appears to be so insignificant, this is just the appearance of things. When God created man, He created him in His own image. David says that God made him a little lower than the heavenly beings. God crowned him with glory and honor. When man was created, God made him to share some of his own attributes. There was something entirely special and unique about man that made him different from everything else that God had created. Though man is frail, in His grace, God has an extraordinary place for him. And that extraordinary place has everything to do with the dominion mandate of Genesis 1. In verses 26 and 28 of the first chapter of the Bible, God lays out man's responsibility in the world. Man was created to rule over everything, over all the earth and over all creatures. Man was commanded by God to fill the earth and to subdue it. These words of of Genesis 1 are in the background of what David writes here in verses 6-8 to of our psalm. It says that God made him ruler. Made him ruler. It's important to note because it means that man's authority on earth is not original. That means it doesn't come from man himself. Instead, man's authority is derived from God. Man is limited in what he can do with the earth. Man is limited by God's will. And he is also directly responsible to God. Man can't just do whatever he wants on this earth with the works of God's hands. At least he he can't do it without having to face the consequences at any rate. All this is further emphasized when David adds, you put everything under his feet. God did it. Man didn't take this authority for himself. God gave it to him. The dominion mandate is not a, a human invention, but a divine command. Man is not the highest ruler who answers to nobody. Instead, he's a prince who has to answer to a king. That's the way we were designed and created to be. Princes. However, with the fall into sin, man ripped the crown off his head and he threw his own crown into the mud. And he tried to reach for God's crown. No longer satisfied with being a prince, Adam sought to overthrow God's rule. And all Adam's posterity have followed the same trajectory. But in his grace, God went after this rebel clan. And he promised someone who could come and get down on his knees, humble himself, 
dig the crown out of the mud, wash it with his own blood, and put it back on the head of man. Hebrews 2, verses 6 to 8, quotes Psalm 8 with respect to the work of the Lord Jesus in his human nature. In that passage in Hebrews, what Psalm 8 says about mankind is directly applied to Christ. Jesus is made a little lower than the angels. Jesus is crowned with glory and honor. The dominion given to human beings over creation is not yet complete according to God's original design. But we see Jesus in His suffering and death. All this means that the original purposes for mankind in this world as expressed in Psalm 8 and Genesis 1, are fulfilled in Christ. Our true humanity and identity are found in Him. Through His suffering and death, the Lord Jesus has come to restore God's original purpose for us. That original purpose that was vandalized by sin. And then not only by the original sin of Adam and Eve, but by the actual sins of each and every one of us. Through faith in Jesus Christ, we are restored to our kingly role of dominion over creation. And for us, the full expression of that lays in the future. Hebrews 2 verse 5 speaks about the world to come. And yes, for Jesus Christ, it's already a done deal. He's accomplished dominion, and in that He represents all redeemed humanity. But for us, we have to wait for the return of Jesus Christ to have the full expression of that. When Christ returns and the new heavens and new earth are inaugurated, then we will find our true destiny as human beings, and we will rule perfectly as princes under God. However, in thankful anticipation of that day, today already we seek to live out of our union with Christ. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, working faith in our hearts, leading us forward, we'll endeavor to take care of the world that God has entrusted to us, that we would never abuse it in any way, shape, or form. With the Spirit enabling us to increasingly put our old nature to death, We'll seek to rule responsibly over everything that God has put under our feet. Whether that involves the the earth, whether it involves creatures, or whatever else. That brings us to verse 9. With this verse, the psalm concludes in the same way it began. Praise for Yahweh. But between verse 1 and verse 9... A dramatic shift has taken place. At the beginning, we praised God for being a magnificent creator. At the end of the psalm, we stand with minds blown at the unexpected grace of God that has lifted up human beings in Jesus Christ to unimaginable heights of glory. When we recognize that David only knew a fraction of what we know today, about God's plan for man's restoration and redemption. 
These words should be on our lips with even greater passion and enthusiasm. Yahweh's name is truly majestic in all the earth and it it will be even more majestic in the age to come. And so let me ask, who can read or sing this psalm? Who can carefully consider it and not be impressed with God? Who here is so cold-hearted that you can't see a mighty God of grace and splendor revealed here? Loved ones, your God is revealing Himself to you again this morning. Stir up your heart to see His majesty and be impressed with His works and His person. In commenting on this psalm, John Calvin said that with the words of praise at the beginning and the end, the Holy Spirit wants to wake men up from their torpor and indifference, from their drowsiness and cold-bloodedness. And Calvin's right. So, beloved, wake up. Open your eyes and ears to God's revelation of Himself, to what He has revealed about Himself in His Word and in creation, and give Him glory, honor, and praise now in all ways. Indeed, be impressed with your God. Let's pray. O Yahweh, our Lord, how majestic is Your name in all the earth. There is truly no other like You. You created heaven and earth and everything in them. From soaring mountain heights to galaxies in the night sky, the works of Your hand astound us and amaze us. Oh, please teach us to be more and more impressed with You and to be less and less taken with earthly and sinful things that will someday disappear. And you've also appointed praise from the mouths of our little ones, even from little Kendra Dykstra. Help us to hear that praise and to see it, and to encourage it and join in with it, so that your enemies would be turned back, discouraged and silenced. We praise you for the grace You've shown to us in Jesus Christ our Savior. Oh God, who are we to receive such a wonderful Redeemer? We thank You that He came to put crowns back on our heads after we tried to usurp Your authority and rule. And we earnestly pray for His return so that You would be all in all and that we may rule with Christ in the new heavens and new earth for Your praise and glory. Oh God, please bring that day quickly. And as we wait, please give us more grace with Your Spirit so that we would begin to rule responsibly over all things that You've put under our feet now already. Please help us in our kingly office. O Yahweh, our Lord, how majestic is Your name in all the earth. Accept our prayer and praise In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.